Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning. It is a beautiful morning here as always now that we're into November. It is 78 degrees. Going to climb up to 85 today, so they say. Not a cloud in the sky. You know, I saw a lunar eclipse this morning. Tell me I'm crazy, but I got up at 6, and I, I haven't heard anybody talk about this, but I looked out and I said, wow, it was three-quarter eclipsed, and I thought I was going to get to see a full eclipse, but apparently it was. if it was full, it was now waning, and I watched it as it um, then it almost completely re- went back to being a full moon, but it went kind of down behind the house before I could see it. But it's interesting. I haven't seen a lunar eclipse in a long time. And I don't know if any of you got to see it, but my time here was uh, probably happened around 5.30, full full eclipse kind of a thing, or, or 5.45. And then 6.20 or so, it was uh, back to a full, regular full moon. But it was exciting to see that, just getting up a little. It was just perfect, right? As I walked outside this morning, there it was, right in my field of vision. It was nice. Well, I thought we would jump over to this day in trivia. So here's today's joke. They have their own on this page, their own kind of dad jokes. Why is a book your best friend and companion? The answer is <laughs> because when it bores you, you can shut it up without giving offense. Okay, now I came up with my own. I, this is my own bad joke on this one. This is my own take on this. Why is a book your worst friend and a traitor? Because it always turns on you. <laughs> huh? Could I be a bad dad joke writer? I think so. I got it. I got it. But it takes. Okay. Let me know in the comments what you think. Robert Goddard, father of rocketry, when once was told that rockets could never fly, said, Every vision is a joke until the first man accomplishes it. Once realized, it becomes commonplace. Very true. Very true. Speaking of, the first bug zapper was invented in 1910, November 8th. (laughs) The first insect electrocution device is patented by Robert F. Frost of Spokane, Washington. Now that's a man with a vision. And I'm telling you, you live down here where I live, and you thank God every day for those men that invented the bug zapper. It's one of my favorite tools to fight against these mosquitoes that are always trying to get me every single day. On November 8, 1895, Wilhelm Ronald Ruskin made his famous discovery of the X-ray machine. He took the first X-rays. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1901. He took his first X-ray the following month when he X-rayed his wife's hand. When she saw her skeleton, she exclaimed, I have seen my death. First record player, uh, November 8th, 1887. This was the flat disc record player, not the round one that um, Alexander Graham Bell did or Thomas Edison. This was the flat disc, which then gave us the gramophone, which you see in all the old movies. And just one or two more. I thought this was interesting. The first jet-to-jet aerial combat 
1950 in the Korean War. A Lockheed F-80 fought against a Soviet MiG-15 and knocked it out of the sky, destroyed it. Thought that was interesting. After we just came out with the new Top Gun movie, started back in 1950. And Lewis and Clark Expedition, November 8th, 1805, the famed explorers Lewis and Clark reached the Pacific Ocean, completing their search for a route to the West. There you go. Well, now let's move over to our reading today. If you will find your place, open your Bibles. We're in Lamentations 2 and 1 Peter 4. Father God, thank you for this morning and bringing us before your throne, letting us hear your words, the, the things you desire for us to know. And just we ask that you would teach us, instruct us, and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger. He has cast from heaven to the earth the glory of Israel, and he has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up. He has not spared all the inhabitants of Jacob. In his wrath, he has thrown down the strongholds of the daughter of Zion. He has brought them down to the ground. He has profaned the kingdom and its princes. In fierce anger, he has cut off all the strength of Israel. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. He has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire, consuming round about. He has bent his bow like an enemy, and he has set his right hand like an adversary, and slain all who were pleasant to his eye. In the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his wrath like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has destroyed its strongholds and multiplied in the daughter of Judah, mourning and moaning. He has violently treated his tabernacle like a garden booth. He has destroyed his appointed meeting place. The Lord has caused to be forgotten the appointed feasts and the Sabbath in Zion. And he has despised king and priest in the indignation of his anger. The Lord has rejected his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord, as in the day of the appointed feast. The Lord determined to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He has stretched out a line. And he has not restrained his hand from destroying. He has caused rampart and wall to lament. They have languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the nations. The law is no more. Also her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground. They are silent. They have thrown dust on their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. When little ones and infants faint in the streets of the city, they say to their mothers, Where is grain and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, 
as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. How shall I admonish you? To what shall I compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? And to what shall I liken you as I comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and foolish visions. They have not exposed your iniquity so as to restore you from captivity. But they have seen for you false and misleading oracles. All who pass along the way clap their hands in derision at you. They hiss and shake their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city of which they said, the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? All your enemies have opened their mouths wide against you. They hiss and gnash their teeth. They say, we have swallowed her up. Surely this is the day for which we waited. They have reached it. We have seen it. The Lord has done what he has purposed. He has accomplished his word, which he commanded from days of old. He has thrown down without sparing. He has caused the enemy to rejoice over you. He has exalted the might of your adversaries. Their heart cried out to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let your tears run down like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief. Let your eyes have no rest. Arise, cry aloud in the night, at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the life of your little ones who are faint because of hunger at the head of every street. See, O Lord, and look, with whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat their offspring? The little ones who were born healthy? Should priest and prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? On the ground, in the streets, lie young and old. My virgins and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered, not sparing. You called as in the day of an appointed feast. My terrors on every side. And there was no one who escaped or survived in the day of the Lord's anger. Those whom I bore, I reared. My enemy annihilated them. Jeremiah's writing this. He sees this coming. He understands it by vision that it's not really the Babylonians. It is God working through the Babylonians that is going to be judging this city and causing this devastation, even to the little ones starving to death or, or being slain. And the mothers getting to the point where they wonder, we eat their own children. This is utter devastation. And this is as bad as it gets. But notice something. The prophet isn't judging God for this. He does not shake his fist at God in anger. He judges Israel for this. He knows that they have brought it upon themselves. He knows that they are the ones who abandoned the Lord. And they had time and time and time again had turned their backs because Jeremiah's prophecy was for years, year upon year upon year, warning them, don't turn your backs upon God. Don't stop worshiping the temple. Bring your sacrifices, worship him, repent of your sin, and he will bless you. And he kept saying that over and over and over again. 
that the judgment was conditional upon them, them, and they continued to reject it. So now that it's coming, and he sees it, and he understands fully, and he understands the temple is going to be completely destroyed and wiped out and burned, he can only lament. He can only lament. And again, we'll say this every chapter, but it is worth remembering and noting that these prophecies in the Old Testament aren't given to us just as historical fact and reference. They're given to us as a guide as to our own future to learn from the past and to learn the accuracy of prophecy and to respond to the prophecies yet future in the correct way, in the godly way. So we know that Jeremiah, we know that Ezekiel, we know that uh, Daniel, Amos, uh, Zechariah, you name it, goes on and on and on. In the New Testament, you've got John, you've got Paul, you've, all the prophets and the apostles have prophesied of the coming tribulation, the time where God is bringing upon the world a one-world leader like Nebuchadnezzar that will come and wreak havoc. He will promise peace, but he will come and have an absolute all-out war. And, of course, it's going to be on the church. It's going to be against Jesus. But the, the devastation is going to be profound. It's going to be, a well, up to one half of the earth when it's all done, destroyed. One half the population, four billion people dead. I mean, let that sink in. We know in our future, four billion people are going to die in a war, the war of all wars. And um, we don't know when it's coming. We do know today that right now, Russia's been hinting at something. Do I think it's going to happen? No, but, but they've been seriously hinting that they could do some serious damage starting today. We'll have to wait and see, but that could set off a chain of events because... NATO will respond and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So we don't know, but we just do we need to learn from it, learn from these prophecies in the past? Yep, we sh- we should. And this is why we as Christians rejoice because we know the God of our salvation, we know we're secure, and we know no matter what happens, we're secure. Even if you believe you're going through the tribulation it's going to be bad, but we know we are secure. And so we know where we end up. But I believe we're going to be taken out before then. First Peter 4, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued the course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are Judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment, be sober, 
and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who speaks the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing was happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and the God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, He is not to be shamed, but it is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to the faithful creator in doing what is right. Boy, that's a real strong affirmation. What I was just talking about, Peter saying, the end of all things is near. And how how should we be as believers? We should trust and know that Jesus is coming back to live our lives out for him in righteousness, in right living, being right before God. And in doing these things, he's saying, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. You know, in those days, the fiery trial was a little bit different than what we define it. It was like, oh, let's put that Christian up on a pole, douse him with oil and set him on fire for Nero. And those kind of, you know, it's like, there were real fiery trials. And yet Peter doesn't focus on the injustice of what was happening. How could this be happening to us? He's saying, you know, the time is sufficient. You went through all the stuff of the flesh before. All of the partying, all the drugs, all the immorality. He says, you know, the time's sufficient. You've done with that. Now your life is set apart for Christ. You are no longer habitually sinning. The whole idea you no longer sin is not. Of course, it's not that we no longer sin. It's that we no longer habitually live for it. That's not what defines us. And he says, now live righteously. He says, now, you know, you're living different. The people, your old friends are, they get upset that you don't want to run with them and go party anymore. They're like, what's wrong with you? And he says, but you know what? You know what their end is. You know what's going to happen with those people who do that. They are the ones that are just like the Israelites who said, we don't want to follow God. We don't want anything to do with him. And God said over and over and over, if you don't, I'm going to destroy everything and send you into captivity, and you're going to have starvation, you're going to have war, you're going to have suffering, unbelievable. And they still didn't believe it. And this is exactly what Peter's saying. 
end is coming. They don't want to believe it, but they're going to suffer for it. And you know what he says? And if the whole issue about if it's difficult for the righteous to be saved, then that difficulty is in the sense of it's not that it's a works-based thing, but think about everything you went through to be saved and the mindset and the things you dealt with and how many people witnessed to you and you finally got it. And he's thinking, think about the people that that really don't want to change. I mean, the people that are hard-hearted and, and aren't even looking, they're not even searching for God. It's going to be very tough for them to get saved. Very tough for them when things continue to get worse to yield their heart to the Lord. They're going to double down in their anger. The things we're seeing right now for the, the natural affection of men growing cold, as the Bible says in the end times, there be a, a loss of natural affection. We're seeing that like crazy. People just so violent, pushing people off train platforms for no reason. Just hitting somebody. You see these videos, just people walking down the street and just wailing on a person. And then beating up old people for no reason. That's what this is talking about. Where there's this loss of natural affection. And those people have just, their hearts have grown so hard that they're, it's going to be very hard for them to see the light of Jesus as Lord and Savior and is coming back. Thankfully, God is powerful enough to do it. He did it with Paul. He can do it with us. But there's still time. There's still hope. But it's going to get worse. And that's basically this whole thing. But for us, if you're suffering for his name, people start giving you a hard time at work, giving you a hard time in your family, whatever the situation, because you're a believer. He says, just know. Just know that that is you're getting the approval of God. You're doing the right thing. And uh, your your creator is pleased that you are maintaining the walk, continuing on. All right, Charles Spurgeon, the magnitude of grace. My grace is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Second Corinthians 12, 9. Our weakness should be prized as making room for divine strength. We might never have known the power of grace if we had not felt the weakness of nature. Blessed be the Lord for the thorn in the flesh and the messenger of Satan when they deliver us to the strength of God. This is a precious word from our Lord's own lip. It has made the writer laugh for joy. God's grace, enough for me. I should think it is. Is not this guy enough for the bird and the ocean enough for the fish? The all-sufficient is sufficient for my largest want. He who is sufficient for each and heaven is certainly able to meet the case for one poor worm like me. Let us then fall back upon our God and his grace. If he does not remove our grief, he will enable us to bear it. His strength shall be poured into us until the worms shall thresh the mountains and nothing shall be victor over all the high and mighty ones. It is better for us to have God's strength than our own. For if we were a thousand times as strong as we are, we would amount to nothing in the face of the enemy. And if we could be weaker than we are, which is scarcely possible, yet we could do all things in Christ. <laughs> and I love that comparison about a thousand times stronger nothing in comparison with christ you know we can't be any weaker than we are yet with christ we're stronger than all things 
um, I like this because this huge surgence, resurgence, or whatever, or this making of all the comics into movies, and this whole focus on superheroes and our super strength, that if I just had enough superpower, I can take on evil and the enemy. You see these movies, right? And ultimately, the superheroes in one form or another are taking on evil in many cases. And they're, you know, they're putting Satan back in his place, back in hell. And they're overcoming by their superpower. Maybe they have to get a few other superheroes with them to overcome. But because of their superpower and determination, and we're finding out, that's nothing. You take all the superheroes around and there's nothing compared to the power of Satan because we don't battle against flesh and blood. The battle with the enemy is far, far different on a different plane, and it operates in a different type of power. Yeah, it is a power between good and evil, but it's Christ's goodness. It's God's goodness. It's his power and purity. And he is fighting against a created being. God's power is far superior than his, not even a comparison but the the idea that we can battle somehow if we're stronger against Satan is ridiculous. We only can stand up against to him in in the in Christ. And you know it's a whole concept too, those that try and do the whole um stuff to ward off Satan, they're gonna I'm gonna put a circle and if I stand in the circle and I say this chant and light a candle, Satan can't touch me, all that kind of stuff. That's still trying to operate in the in the flesh, saying if I if I know the right mystical incantations and this kind of stuff i can't stand up against Satan. not going to happen it's only by the blood that's only only thing that stands up against Satan, and he is manifesting more and more as present because the bible says as in the days of noah so shall it be before the son of man comes and so we see that day is drawing near so we're seeing more of this kind of thing happen and with that, we need to pray because there is a lot of demonic manifestation going on. And I didn't intend to blend that into praying for the election, but if the shoe fits, um, let's be praying for the election in the United States and pray that God's will be done. That's the best way to say it. If God is done with the United States and says I'm, uh, they have walked away from me like Israel and, and no longer obeying me, and uh, you know, and He's deciding to judge the nation, well, then we'll see the current system continue, so that the nation can be completely and utterly destroyed. But if it's His will for some resurgence of some kind of normality, uh, at least for a time being, then um, we pray that there be those that are more focused on biblical morality about the protection of life and about the protection of of what is moral and good and upright. So uh, you be the judge and uh, we'll pray according to that and the things going on in Russia and uh, the like. So Father, thank you for this morning and giving us this time together. We do thank you for those that are joining us in different now uh, countries that are coming alongside of us. God, as we read your word together, as we grow in grace, as we grow in the knowledge of your word, and may you bless them abundantly wherever they may be. But God, we do ask that you keep the sanity with the wars in Ukraine and Russia as well as China, 
there has been a lot of talk about this day being uh, somehow significant. And we pray that it's not. We pray that nothing happens. We pray, God, this is a, a, a transformation, maybe in the right direction, maybe that there could be a break out of peace talks. We pray that that would come. But we pray for protection of life, protection of the innocent, protection of those that have no other desire but to live a normal life. And we know that many of the Ukrainians have no ill will to the Russians and the Russians towards the Ukrainians. It's these policies and, and political powers that are warring and these these globalist forces. So, God, we, just, we pray that you would dominate and overrule any of the dark kind of plants that are now being formed in these back rooms to bring destruction so that there might be a destruction of cultures and countries so that they might bring forward this one world leader. And we pray in the same vein for the election in the United States that it might be an election that brings to back into balance the government for the people by the people. But God, you know, so we put it in your hands. Mostly we pray that you protect those voters. You protect the the candidates and protect the people. God, do not allow violence to break out, nor allow any devious, malevolent plans to be brought forward to somehow destroy one party, the other party, false flags, any of these things. God, we ask that you be there, guiding, directing, protecting for a fair election. No cheating, just God, and let your will be done. And on top of all that, God, we pray for those that are continuing to heal. We thank you for the healing going on in so many people's lives. Um, Also emotionally, we know people that are now coming out of the darkness and coming to know you and some of the new believers in our fellowship. It's so exciting to see. But we thank you for what you are doing in the healing of people. We do now acknowledge God. We commend to you, Anyel's friend, who I just found out, went home to be with you and her family. Came to know you, many of her family, by Monty Molina, who's just sharing the Lord with them. And she is now done with that battle of cancer as a young woman. She is now healed completely because we know that she did not cease to exist. We know that she is alive and well in a new body with you. And so we rejoice over that, God, that that was your choice for her ultimate healing. So thank you for that. And I ask that you continue to touch and heal those that are struggling in these areas of cancer. We see so many victories, so we we don't lose hope. We just ask you to continue to heal those that have the ongoing battles, like Celeste's been dealing with it for years, Karen Skoog as well, um, different people that have had it uh, for a long, that have been healed for long periods of time and have overcome it. So we thank you for the victories. And God, we pray that you bless the time with the mission today. You bless the evangelism team that will be going out on Thursday, the service tomorrow, and just those that you are bringing into a new awareness of your power and your love for them. Thank you for that, God, and ask that you would touch and heal them in their spirits because so many people are dealing with so many hurtful things that have happened in their family. Pray for healing of marriages. We pray for the children, God, that are affected by all of these terrible events that are going on in families. Pray for the youth so they're not so corrupted, God, by this culture and what's been going on around them. 
And we just pray for Vallarta. It's a very confused, dark place, God. We just need your hand of grace to be upon it so that people will come to know you and come into a, a strong walk with you. So thank you for this day, and thank you for blessing us. In Jesus' name, amen. As always, thank you guys for being with us, and we'll look forward to having you with us tomorrow as we continue on in the book of Lamentations and probably finish off Peter. Who knows? We'll see. First Peter. God bless you. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. <laughs> 